0: for teachers of physics made by physics
1: teachers yeah, physics teachers like me robin griffiths a kind of part-time ish teacher of physics and at the moment it's just year and 10 and year 12 i've lost my elevens.
0: and physics teachers like me thomas wp a part-time a level only teacher of physics and they went in for their paper one today and they weren't very happy when mm. they came out but they're never happy when they yeah. come out are they
1: I was saying to one of my students the other day that the two scenarios that, that I hate to hear coming out of an exam is the student who comes out and goes, oh, I bombed that so bad. I didn't answer any of the questions. Oh, those are awful, which you might expect. And the ones who come out and go, oh, that was so easy. ha. Oh, oh, I love that paper because I just think, oh, no, oh, oh, because it's never that easy, is it? You're absolutely right.
0: It never is. I, I agree with you. It's always the, the backwards, isn't it? Uh, we have our special guest back. Welcome back, Charles
1: Tracy of the IOP.
2: Hi, everyone. Hi, Robin. Hi, Thomas. It's
1: good to have you back, Charles. We're still talking energy. There's more energy than you can fit in one episode here on the Physics Teaching Podcast. Oh, yes.
0: Yes, more energy. And we're going to take the energy from 11-year-olds into 15-, 16-year-olds, so key stage three to key stage four in the UK. And the first thing we want to talk about is how the language changes You've introduced it to 11-year-olds, and you've said how you have stores. You may not have mentioned processes. You've just talked about the store at the start, the store at the end, and that energy is conserved. So how does that change, Charles, as we move into the older students?
2: Yeah, so I think I think it's worth saying with with the language, you know, a lot of times people say, and particularly... They say to me, you know, am I allowed to say such and such? And the answer invariably is yes, of course, you know, you can say what you like, but trying to say something that's helpful for students. Um, and, you know, in effect, the words we use paints a picture in their heads, and that's how they start to conceptualize things. So we're trying to to build a helpful conception of what energy is. And perhaps it's worth saying that, you know, in the past, there was a slightly unhelpful conception of it being um, a a substance substantiating it or making it real in some way and the approach of using energy stores is is trying to shift away from that and certainly shift away from it taking on different forms because you know in, in effect energy is energy is energy that's what we want to emphasize it's a quantity energy and all the ways we measure it it's still energy that we're measuring So, you know, rather like if you're measuring the height of students, it's always height. You you know, you might be doing Robin's height and Thomas's height and Charles's height, but it's always height. So one of the things we, we suggest is not to have an adjectival form of energy. So rather than saying kinetic energy or gravitational energy or elastic energy, which suggests that it's taking on different forms, is to make it an adverb. So talk about the way it's stored rather than a different type of thing being stored because it's not a thing and it doesn't take on different types so better to always say energy but energy that's stored gravitationally so using an adverb or energy that's stored elastically or energy that's stored thermally or energy that's stored um, kinetically that always sounds a bit odd but you get used to it (laughs) Um, and then then it emphasizes this notion that it is always energy and that actually helps i think with you know it being obvious therefore it's conserved because it's always that the amount of the quantity must be the same because it's the same quantity it's just being measured in a different way so rather than saying types of energy we're saying the way it is stored and that's why at key stage 3 we suggest introducing it with a you know slightly Concrete idea of an energy store associated with something moving, and an energy store associated with something being lifted up in a gravitational field. But as you move into to key stage four, you can start to, to use the formation that, that I've said. So you can say, you know, I lift I lift this book up onto a shelf in in a gravitational field. So the system is storing more energy because I've had to, to do work against the, the force between them to lift it onto the shelf. So now the the Earth and the book are storing energy gravitationally. So there's a little story that goes with it. And then over time, you can shorten that story. You get a shorthand of lifting a book onto a shelf means that the, the earth and book are storing energy gravitationally. Or if you prefer, you can just say the system's storing energy gravitationally. And similarly, if you do work to, to push a car or push a trolley or start running, you're doing work and um, that the system is then storing energy kinetically. But always energy, so the thing that is stored is always energy. it stores energy and then the way it's stored. So I think that that helps just in painting a picture, but you know if you if you say something else, it's not <laughs> you know it's not the end of the world, it's not going to uh, damage anything. I don't think it just slightly probably builds up a, a picture in in students' minds of it being a, a substance which is thought not to be helpful for their conception of it.
1: So what I I like about this also from a classroom practice point of view is that it lends itself to a lovely simplicity of language that therefore means that you can question around it quite readily. So you can lift a ball into the air and say, how's the energy being stored here? You can drop the ball and say, how's it being stored as it falls? You, You can do this and question around and again sort of recap the ideas and bring in that new language of the adverb uh, with a really nice question and answer session, which I could see working quite well.
2: Yeah, thanks. I, th- I think that's right, and I think how is a is a good link as well because it does link to the processes then as well. You, you know, you can say how is it being stored? It's being stored kinetically because it's moving when you've when you've dropped a ball. So I think that's that's helpful, isn't it? Um, so I, the the, um, the the temptation with any conserved quantity uh, is to have a substance model in your mind. So that is, you know, that's hugely tempting because, um, you know, charge is conserved, uh, matter is conserved. And and those are both things that flow and we talk about flow. So it's very easy with energy to to talk about, start talking about flow because it sort of looks like it flows because it's conserved, because the same amount, if you, if you have some energy stored in, in one system, let's say a hot cup of tea and you let it cool and it heats up the room, it feels like something has flowed out of the, the hot cup of tea into the room. Of course, that isn't what happened. What happened was that the uh, particles were vibrating more on the surface of the cup and those particles then make the air particles around them move more and therefore those air particles are moving more. And then what we find is that the quantity of energy, energy stored thermally, is the same before and after. But it's not, a, it's not in this case a substance that's flowed out. So it's very beguiling, very tempting to say that something flows. Um, And therefore, very easy to to build up that conception. But in many cases, it's not a helpful conception. So, you know, it it, it doesn't matter if you say it, but it's probably better just to to keep talking about it being a measure of um, the way in which the the other system is now storing energy rather than something has been, you know, some substance has flowed from, uh, say, the hot cup of tea to the surroundings. I mean, in that case, we're talking about energy. Stored thermally, it's very tempting to talk about heat, but we'll we'll get on to that later, perhaps.
0: So that's how we talk about it. And I, I like that the way we have an adverb so we can say the energy is stored somethingly, and we can struggle with nuclearly later. But now we go <laughs> on to teach energy. So we've got students who know it's something that's conserved, they remember that you have stores, and now we're teaching them at key Stage four and we're going to have to introduce the mathematics yeah. of the stores yeah so i think the the big favorites would be kinetic to potential or vice versa mm. nice gcse nice 50 16 year old equations so half mv squared to mgh now question for you gentlemen what would be a good practical for the kids to do that gives them a calculation that we can do in a lab in 20 minutes and spend 20 minutes doing a calculation.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, as you say, it's the bread and butter, isn't it? And, and you know, the classic ones are dropping something. So you can, you can drop something in the lab. You can drop it, you know, from one metre or two metres uh, in the lab. You could, um, it, w- with some groups, you could put a, a light gate or something that measures its speed at the bottom so you can confirm what the energy calculation tells you. Um, or, or, you know, if you feel adventurous, drop it out of a window with some, um, you know, with something at the bottom to, it'd have to be a good shot, but something to measure its speed, the bottom. Um, of course, the other way of measuring speed would be to have someone with a mobile phone standing outside. You could use that to, to calculate the speed at the bottom. Um, so I think dropping something is good. The other, the other sort of version of that, because, because of course dropping something directly down, you could also find its speed using um using a suvat equation so you're not necessarily demonstrating that it's a shortcut to you know that energy is a, a useful analytical tool there i have a
0: question how are you saying someone determines the speed standing outside with the mobile phone are you saying they're just filming it and you have a meter ruler taped to the wall
2: Oh, so, so if, yeah, if you, fi- if you film it with a, a meter ruler at the bottom, so just on the last meter, so someone films it coming down and then you just see how many frames, you know, try and do a frame-by-frame frame, uh, thing I and see, so, yeah. see how many frames it takes to, to cover the last meter. Um, the So when when energy starts to get very powerful is in situations where it's not dropping straight down, so either a pendulum or a, a roller coaster, because in that case it's still... Um, falling by the same amount in the gravitational field so the the energy the, the energy stored gravitationally that's been lost is still the same as it bought before mgh um and the the um, energy stored kinetically that's gained is still the same as before half mv squared but it's not going straight down now it's going across because uh, it's been diverted by the, the string or the um the roller coaster track so it wouldn't It wouldn't be possible to do that from a SUVAT equation because you don't know the acceleration.
0: Yeah, I think we'd Mm. probably want to avoid SUVAT unless we were with a top triple group, and I'm not sure that's what we're talking about now. Robin, do you remember that outstanding roller coaster we had when we worked together where they used to carry in two people? It was massive. It was about two meters to a side and one meter and it was it was enormous. It was the best roller coaster ever.
1: Yeah, God bless Wendy, our technician, who gets a shout out every uh, now and then on the, on the podcast. But she'd made it, and it was bigger than she was. So, as you so rightly say, she had to get a friend to come and carry it in with her. But it was it was, it was made out of Kex, I think, wasn't it? So th- there's a science club uh, project for someone there. <laughs> but a Kex roller coaster can be done. Uh, so yeah, but uh, it was amazing, amazing thing, amazing. It was excellent.
2: Yeah, I think I think um, you know if you're if you're doing demonstrations in a lab, um, big demonstrations are always great. You know, we talked last week about the the big pendulum, and the big roller coaster would be good. In in electric circuits, it's always good to do a big circuit as well. You know, with wires going all the way around the lab. Um, so so you know, big just makes it a little bit more memorable, doesn't it?
1: Yes, I think you're right. Big does make it memorable. Anything that that gives it that slightly different edge and that slightly different um, approach is quite nice. And again, I, I think when you said dropping something. Charles, there you can jazz it out. Dropping a ball in a lab, you know, not the most exciting thing. All the chemistry teachers listening, will go, no, just, that's not a practical. Um, but if you if you drop it down a stairwell or out from from outside a window or something like that, then you know, do your risk assessment, people. But that is potentially uh, quite a nice one. And again, you're so right, Charles. Mobile phones make such a difference these days, particularly if you put a stopwatch in the frame of the mobile phone because you can actually time the descent and things like that. And there's all sorts of interesting conversations you can have with that as well
2: yeah i, I mean it the one uh, phil phil scott used to do so so the the version of the um guinea and feather which is you know this is not an energy thing but it's um you know dropping things in a vacuum the version that uh, he used to do with that was the, the the melon and the peach which you you drop off a roof and of course you know make sure you've got a, a nice big piece of polythene at the bottom for to land on because the both of them Uh, disintegrate and explode. But it does make it memorable. And it would work in this case as well. You know, if you don't want to drop a ball, drop a melon. Um but again make sure you've got something to clean it up.
0: So yes, dropping balls and trying to measure the speed and we can do MgH becomes half M V squared. And dropping a large piece of fruit and a small piece of fruit they should hit at the same time if if physics works. What else have we got? I think you wanted to talk a bit about energy stored thermally and there's certainly at GCSE in the UK. Yeah. We have to do a specific heat capacity. That's definitely something they all have to do.
2: Yeah. So, so energy stored thermally. You, you know, again, just to to um, kind of help with the picture is we we simply have not moved on from the, the caloric view of um, energy stored thermally. You know, most most times people talk about some something called heat. Um, they're basically referring to a substance and it is a substance that is different from energy in their conception i expect uh, and and therefore you know goes back uh, three four hundred years to to the notion of caloric being a substance and it was it was the big you know one of the big successes of um, well the kinetic theory of um, uh, matter that um what had previously been called caloric, and perhaps we think of as heat, is, is just energy. It is energy, but energy of the little things, energy of particles moving or uh, being arranged differently. Uh, and so we really ought to, I think by now, try to, to talk in a way that unifies that. So rather than having this special place for heat is just to, to not refer to it uh, in these situations and talk about energy stored thermally. And then it just becomes, you know, it's the same, uh, same as all the others. We were saying before that um, energy is energy is energy, and that's the case whether it's stored in a mechanical sense, either gravitationally or elastically or kinetically, um, or in a thermal sense because of the movement or arrangement of particles. So, so energy stored thermally is, is a good way to talk about that. Um, and it, you know, again, it, it sort of means that people say, am I allowed to say this again? You can, if you want, but I would, if I would, and and when I am talking about it, um, you know, I don't use heat in a, in a physics sense. Heat is kind of a a social idea now, I would say, and means many different things to many people. Um, you know, it can mean a high temperature. It can mean the energy stored. It can mean energy being transferred, um, in, in this sense, it is better to talk about energy stored thermally. And then also, when we get on to you know power and pathways, if you put a hot object in contact with a cooler object, um, the, the energy is transferred by heating. So again, rather than saying heat is transferred, which begins to give the notion of substance to, to heat, uh, rather than saying heat is transferred, say energy, it's always energy that's being transferred, energy is transferred by heating. Uh, and that then makes clearer again that that, that it's still the same quantity energy
0: it takes me back to the episode we did last week where you said you have one store that goes down another store that goes up and the process how how far do you want to go down that rabbit hole that's what i really like about this energy stored thermally because it's really energy stored kinetically and you can go that go down that path with some classes and not with others. So I, I, I and you can go. How far do you go down that hole with a class? Of obviously, at A level, you go into kinetic theory, but at Q stage four, you can just say thermally. You can say it's really kinetically, or you can go as deep as you like. So I, I love that of the process being a, 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 you can you can go to any depth of detail on the process.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, interestingly, you say it's stored kinetically. That's true uh, within a within a, a state or within a phase. You know, within a solid or within a liquid, or so on. But of course, when it changes phase, um, then it's it's being stored by a different arrangement of the particles. And that this is this is, I think, a really powerful part of this way of talking about energy, because you know that the, when something melts or uh, boils. It's, it's always difficult for students to, to grasp that the temperature stays the same. The temperature but the ener- stays the same. Yeah. But the energy stored by the system, my goodness me, that, that doesn't stay the same. You know, the, a, a steam at 100 degrees is storing much more energy thermally than water at 100 degrees. And yet its temperature is the same. So it's, it's, this starts to get reinforce the idea that, you know, energy stored by the system thermally is different from the temperature. Uh, and I think that's easier to, to get across than if you have been talking about heat because people think of heat and temperature as being the same thing, where it's very clear that energy stored thermally is very different from temperature because it's energy. You know, it's a different quantity. It's measured in joules. Energy stored thermally in joules uh, is different from temperature measured in
1: degrees. I, w- I wanted to ask about this, actually, because this is one of the areas where I get a wee bit stuck, um, and it is the idea of that effect of energy is stored thermally it's stored kinetically by the particles at some level so when we talk uh, about uh, pressure um, kinetic theory particle theory at uh, key stage four you do start to get into the idea particularly when you're talking about pressure changes that occur with temperature um, you start talking about energy transfers thermally and you talk about increasing speed of the particles and you get a confused look and and they ask about well isn't that the kinetic store at at that point i usually say well yeah this is one of the the nice things about getting more advanced in physics you find these depths you find actually that there is no difference between a kinetic store and a, and a, a thermal store at some level
2: indeed it does bring us back to to where we where this little thread started on specific heat capacity because you would never you would never try to calculate the um, the the energy stored in the system by calculating all the energy stored kinetically by all the individual particles that that would be an insane way of doing it um, so although they 're right that wouldn 't be a calculation you could do but happily. There's a really nice quick calculation we could do because we know that the, the energy needed to raise the temperature um, of a, a, a substance is um, MC change in temperature, MC theta, uh, where M's the mass and C is the specific heat capacity and uh, theta is the change in temperature. So, so that's... Why it's useful to have this notion of a, you know, a substance or a body, um, an item storing energy thermally, because it goes straight to a calculation that the change in energy stored thermally is is m c theta.
1: That does make a lot of sense to me because that's it's it's going straight back to the rationale, and and you're right, it's a very very simple rationale. Very, very straightforward. It's just saying energy is just about calculations. So particularly at key stage four, you can you can talk about it in that that way, and just say, "Well, yeah, I can't hope to measure the speed of all these individual tiny, tiny particles. But what I can do is this." Very nice.
2: Yeah, although, of course, you know, that to, actually to close two bits of the story there. One is then if you change the phase, the the system stores more energy because you've changed you've broken bonds, uh, and then the change in energy stored thermally is. M times the latent heat, so you know which is exactly equivalent. But again, it shows that the energy stored by the system has gone up, even though the temperature hasn't changed. And then, on the on the business of the um, particles, you can say, well, you know, if you stay on and do A level physics, and we start to look at this, then yes, that's absolutely right. It is a means of us finding out the you know the, the average uh, speed of particles because we can we can. Uh, look at the for a gas, we can look at the average effect of the um changes in temperature on the the kinetic energy of the particles and therefore their speed. The other kind of subtlety and in important subtlety of course uh, in all of this is that um and why it's good not to use a language that includes the word heat in it uh, or you know a representation that includes heat in it um is that it's possible to raise the temperature of something by working it, by transferring energy by working? So you can. There are two ways to it. You know, if you if your hands are cold, you can rub them together. You can raise their temperature by working, or you can blow on them and raise their temperature by you know the the higher temperature of your breath transferring energy to them by heating. Um, so so, getting the distinction between a, a rise in temperature, which can come about through both working and heating something is a a helpful it's helpful not to have the word heat in there
1: Hmm.
2: Um, you know in the old language we might have said well you can transfer heat by working or you can transfer heat by heating and that you know that starts to just be confusing doesn't it so you can raise the temperature that's what you're doing you're raising the temperature by transferring energy through working or transferring energy through heating?
1: That's actually, it leads me onto to one of the questions, though, because we haven't really talked about pathways. Uh, and what, the, the hand-rubbing example reminded me of that, because somebody said, oh, you know, surely the only way to increase the, thermal store is to increase the amount of energy stored thermally in an object is to apply direct heat to it if you like i don't know if that's the correct terminology uh, and of course i say well no no because you can do it mechanically you know, just take your hands push them together and rub and there you go you feel your palms getting warmer that's a mechanical pathway if you like because you're exerting forces on the on the uh, on your, each each hand and you're doing work against the friction and therefore you know, you're raising the uh, uh, or you're increasing the thermal store of your hands mechanically, and that can happen. So there is, yeah. is a nice rationale there.
2: Yeah. And so it does th- – th- th- this, is, this is going to be quite a subtle point, but there are, there are sort of some double distinctions here, that you can, th- that you can transfer energy by heating to raise the temperature – i.e. you put something in contact with a hotter thing and its temperature goes up. But you can also transfer energy by heating and not raise the temperature because you could be changing the the phase. You could be um, changing a a liquid into a gas. So you can transfer energy by heating to raise the temperature or not raise the temperature. So that's important to remember because therefore you, you need to distinguish raising the temperature from heating. Transferring energy by heating is one thing. Raising the temperature is another thing. And then the other side of that is you can raise the temperature and change the phase, by the way, but you can raise the temperature either by transferring energy by heating or by transferring energy by working. So there are there are two ways of raising the temperature, but there are also two outcomes of heating. That I know there was a lot in that, but the, the main thing to take away from it is that there is a distinction between heating something or transferring energy by heating and raising its temperature. So it's, it's quite important to... If it's if it's temperatures going up, to call it raising the temperature rather than it's heating.
1: Yes, now that's a, a good distinction. Raising the temperature, definitely.
2: And then, then I think it all leads on to kind of one of the, the biggest ideas of all, which is dissipation, isn't it? Which we would kind of leading up to the beginning of this, or Thomas was, I think, that um, you know when we when we let something let a, a roller coaster car run down the track. Uh, g- gravity is pulling it down which speeds it up but also the roller coaster car there's friction in its wheels so the particles are grinding against each other and therefore the temperature of the wheels will go up a little bit and also there's friction with the air it's pushing air particles out of the way which is making the air particles move faster which to you and me is the temperature of the air going up. So it's raising the temperature of the wheels and the surroundings uh, and therefore um, the, the um, energy stored thermally by the surroundings Increases a little bit as well. So, as well as the when the gravitational store empties, it uh, the the energy store kinetically goes up, but not quite as much as the amount that the energy store gravitationally goes down, because there's this other store, the energy stored thermally by the surroundings, um, that is that is has also increased. And of course, with the roller coaster, you can show this because if you put a if you put a bump in it, a lo- you know, it goes down. Get it to go up again, uh, you can see how far it goes up the other side and it won't go up as far as the original hill. So using that, you, this is a, an experiment you can do, you can start to, to talk about the efficiency of the system. And what you'll find with a you know a, a car or a, a bull bearing on a track is it'll be about 80% efficient. That the, the, the second hump, to get over the second hump, that hump will have to be about 80% of the height of the first hump. So the Energy stored gravitationally at the top of the second hump is about eighty percent of the energy stored gravitationally on the first hump, and so the and the rest is now stored thermally by the surroundings. It's been dissipated into the surroundings, um, and the system is eighty percent efficient. And of course, in this case, the the big the big idea is that because the energy is now stored at a very low temperature, the temperature of the surroundings has gone up by, you know, micro degrees. Um you it's not very easy to get it to do something useful again. But when when it was when the ball bearing was at the top of the ramp, it was easy you just push it off the edge and it could do something useful for you it can speed up. Um, But once it's stored in this low temperature store of the surroundings uh it's it isn't as useful as it was before it's not stored in a way where it's it's easy to get it to do something useful for us so we would say it's been dissipated
0: and so we're saying that the efficiency calculation we do is looking at the store that is useful at the start compared to the store that's useful at the end yes thank that's you the
2: yeah efficiency absolutely
0: calculation.
1: yeah that's a really nice way. I've never really thought of really going into depth and into detail about the way the energy is stored in, in the thermal store of the surroundings and why that that is so difficult to access because it's spread out uh, amongst a bunch of particles and interactions between particles and all this sort of stuff. And you, you've got that, that sort of process to talk about there, which is quite interesting. So, yeah, that's, that's a really uh, nice way of doing it. And that idea of dissipation brings you into efficiency. And I think that there are quite a few um, ways that you can adapt the practicals we talked about earlier, bouncing balls, swinging pendulums, to start looking at that efficiency. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So, so, you know, on the subject of efficiency, there are a number of things that we choose to do that are kind of 100% inefficient or 0% efficient. So, if you, you know, if you drive from Hatfield to Birmingham, that journey, all, all it does in energy terms is to um, reduce the amount of energy stored chemically by the, the fuel and oxygen in the atmosphere and increase the amount of energy stored at a very low temperature, slightly raised temperature of the surroundings between Hatfield and Birmingham. So in energy terms, it hasn't done anything useful. Of course, it's done something for us that's useful. It's something that we've chosen to do. And a lot of things we choose to do um, you know, we would say that that's something we're willing to to, um, to to expend that energy store on the the chemical store in the, the fuel plus oxygen, um, and we've made that choice. But we're not going to get it back. That you know that is now dissipated into the surroundings.
0: I hadn't thought about that at all. I'm just thinking of when I rushed my wife to the hospital three times when she was giving birth, they were all 0% efficiency <laughs> journeys.
2: So, I mean, what it tells you... they were you, useful. Yeah, of course. So what it so tells you, it's, it's energy efficiency is is zero, but its importance in you know our lives is still big. So, you know, energy is not the right way to, to calculate the value of that journey.
0: But that is, it's worth noting that making that, A difference with the kids about what useful means in in the context of energy it's got to be useful in the context of energy not useful in the in the context of I've moved myself in across the country for four hours
2: absolutely so I mean you know I've seen questions in exams that say what's the efficiency of the food processor well you know (laughs) how would you begin I don't know how you begin to, to try to do an energy calculation on that but the answer is zero of course that you know you're basically expending a, a useful store of energy a useful energy source uh, and you've raised the temperature of the kitchen by a little bit
0: right well we've had a good chat about efficiency there and i think we need to be efficient now <laughs> and and end the podcast I, I should say robin's internet has dropped so i'll just say if you wish to contact the podcast you can email us contact at com. Or you can catch us on Twitter at physics TP or Instagram, which seems to be getting bigger now with the death of Twitter at physics underscore teaching underscore podcast. So I'm going to say to you, Charles, thank you so much again for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure.
2: Well, thank you too. It's been a pleasure for me, and and I should say, you know, if people ask questions.
0: I'd be happy to to come back and uh, and address them or um answer them be careful what you wish for be careful what you wish for (laughs) and I'm going to say thank you very much Robin thank you Thomas I'll
1: catch you next month
0: thank you very much gentlemen thank you for listening to the physics teaching podcast and thanks again this week to Charles Tracy the podcast is presented by Robin Griffiths with me Thomas WP and produced and edited by me with Robin doing the show notes thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next month